Man, what a great song service. Thank you, Randy, very much. Um, we didn't open the door for you, so I want to do that now if you don't mind. Uh, if you'd like to say congratulations and blessings to Lexi, this would be a good time to do that. Well, we had another great Wednesday night out on the centerway side of the building. Uh, our fourth through sixth graders gathered, and we talked about uh, what, it, what it was to know that the Lord, the word of the Lord is sweet. It's sweet like honey. They went on a treasure hunt. We just had all kinds of fun. And uh, I want to encourage all of you to be praying for the success of this, our Wednesday night classes that we're getting back together. But also, I want to remind parents, if you've got children in this age, then please bring them. We've got plenty of volunteers that are helping us uh, help, helping the kids who uh, they get so excited. I love, I love we had one child who just had the hardest time staying in her seat, not because she's misbehaving, but she was just having such a great week. And so we have sponsors there to kind of say, no, today we have to stay in our seat and those kinds of things. So it's Wednesdays from 6 o'clock to 7.30, again on the centerway side of the building. Uh, this Wednesday will be our four-year-olds through third graders with Kids Go Camping and then uh, on the 24th, we'll continue with our 4th through 6th graders. Hope that you can be a part of that. And I just want you to know those good things are going on. Back, And he is going to resurrect and renew our bodies. And God is going to recreate the heavens and the earth. And I think it will look like this. Anybody want to argue with me? You're welcome to argue with me if you want to. I will tell you why I think it'll look like this. Personally, I love the heavens, the stars, and the galaxies. I love that NASA sent up the Hubble telescope so that we could just see the handiwork of God and the universe a little more closely. Uh, but what, what we know, what Revelation tells us, is there won't be sun. The sun will not be shining. That God and the Lamb will be the light that illuminates everything. So what I think that means is in the middle of the day, we'll be able to be out enjoying... By the way, the picture's wrong. It would be a live oak tree. This is not a live oak tree. I can tell. It'd be a live oak tree. And, you know, the best part of it, it will never be springtime, so the leaves on the live oak will never fall. Somebody say amen. If you don't say amen, you don't have a live oak tree and you don't have to just rake up leaves. Um, but it'll be a live oak tree. But even in the middle of the day, we'll be able to look up into the heavens and see the universe laid out before us. And we'll say, how wonderful is our God. Amen. So this may not be your picture of what heaven may be like. Maybe it's one of these kind of outdoor scenes. Like maybe what you look at when you look out in your backyard and, and you get to see all the green that we have and, and the trees and the lushness of the vegetation and the beautiful Oyster Creek that flows through there, right? Isn't that... Even Oyster Creek will be blue when God renews heaven and earth. Somebody say Amen. At some point, he's got to stop the silt coming down the Brazos River if, if Oyster Creek is going to be... You know, the one time that Oyster Creek is nice and, and clear and, and all those kinds of things is when we have a major flood and, and the water pushes all that through. So even a flood kind of produces some good things. It's amazing how often our pictures of heaven take on a, a bit of a, an individualistic sort of image. It's me and, and what I'm enjoying. So maybe heaven's going to look a little more like this. 
Those of us who go to camp, get involved, and been involved, I've, I've just been really thankful. From the first uh, summer that I was, after I'd been here a year, we got to start going to Camp Bandina and Camp, uh, camp Sunshine. Sunshine Youth Camp, there we go, something like that. We all call it Camp Bandina, but uh, uh, just the joy. And, and if you were ever a camper, not at, at just at this camp, but you kind of realize that we're experiencing a little bit of heaven there. People seem to be a little more on their best behavior. There seems to be a little more fellowship among folks. The food is always seriously, seriously excellent. If you went to a camp where that's not true, then you went to the wrong camp because it's, it's always really excellent. I suppose the only thing that will be different about food in heaven is none of it will be fried, right? It will all be fresh and uh, those kinds of things. But what we don't oftentimes think about is the reality of the gathering of all God's saints into heaven with us. We will not be alone. We will be part of that heavenly company. I appreciate Peter preaching a couple of weeks ago on that global fellowship and the way that we'll all be brought together. You know, when you look at a picture like this one, you might say, yes, I can't wait to get to heaven and be there with those people. And then what's the next line? Except for this one and except for that one. I'm now relegated to be in fifth grade, fifth and sixth grade cabins, and there's always one who does not want to go to sleep. And you know what's amazing is, is that same one doesn't want to get up in the morning. And I don't want to pacify all this selfishness. And so what we're supposed to do, we don't get mad at campers. We call the upper counselors. So Randy comes in. First thing Randy says is, we're having breakfast tacos this morning. You want me to go get one for you? And I'm like, you're not helping. <laughs> I'm not going to get him a breakfast taco every morning to get him out of bed. By the way, DJ, Callan was never one who was staying in bed too long. I'm not necessarily saying he wasn't one that didn't want to go to sleep, but that's another subject entirely. I love the way the wording of Psalm 23 takes on a new meaning with the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of the living hope of him coming back again. Yes, we can read those words, Preston, thank you very much, where he says, and I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever, which is actually an inaccurate translation, but it does probably get across the point that David was saying, is where I want to live is in the place where God's house is, not the temple that we saw because... He's the one who builds the temple, but around the area, in the tent, the tabernacle, that kind of area. But when we see it in light of the resurrection of Jesus and the promise that he's coming again, the living hope that we have that he is going to bring all things back to the newness that God created it with in the first place, then suddenly, and I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? It's amazing how... All the songs that we sing. You, you, you sing those phrases in those songs and all things will be made new. You sing the praises of we love each other completely. You sing those phrases of, of how the heavens declare the glories of God. And you think, yeah, it's wonderful to sing about. But I don't know that it's real for me. And what I can promise you is within the first hour, within the first minute, maybe within the first second, if there's time at all, I'm not really 
sure that there will be. In fact, I'm fairly certain there won't be. But if there's time at all, as soon as we get there, all those things that we thought, oh, isn't that wonderful to dream about? Oh, isn't that wonderful to think about? Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if that was really true? Will be true in God. Somebody say amen. What will it be like when he restores everything, when he creates everything, when he makes everything new? Maybe it'll be a little like this parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. I'd ask for you to read along with me. In fact, I want to go a little further. I want you to mark it in your Bible. I'll tell you why in just a minute. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son, who we already know is selfish and self-absorbed because of what he said in the first paragraph, Give me my inheritance now. The younger son got all, got all together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there, don't we all just say, of course he did, right? Pick your word. Squandered his wealth in wild living. King James, of course, squandered his wealth in riotous living. You don't have to do much amazing, imagining. Peter, you got us started this morning, and now I'm not going to be able to find the right words. But then after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Isn't it amazing how enticing sin looks on one side and how stepping in, we think, I'm, I, I'm not really going to go that far and then suddenly we're sucked into more than we could ever believe and the one who is the Lord of sin, Satan himself, will always sell us into the most terrible kind of labor no matter how good sin looks like on one side, once inside it, it becomes death. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Again, Satan promises so much. Just, just step into the life that I want for you. And we think it will be filled. What were the phrases that David used in the psalm? Calm waters, green pastures, right? And we think, oh, surely the grass will be greener because Satan makes it look so wonderful. And yet what we discover on the other side of sin is that not only does death wait for us there, but he has no intentions of meeting our needs in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, 
How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I want you to understand that even in this statement there is hope. Who's to say that dad will even hire him as one of the hired men? And you know what? If I were dad and he had taken half and run off and wasted it the way he did, isn't that what he deserves? Why should you come back to my table? So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father... But but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, and I can kind of see him kind of pushing his dad away. Father, wait, stop. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But, again... But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so, and so they began to celebrate. I want you to put your marker here. Because I think so often we read this story and we think it's somebody else's story. Oh, yes, Bob needs to read that. Oh, yes, Carol needs to read that. By the way, just generic names. But it's never us who needs to read it. Or we see ourselves in the role of the gracious Father who extends mercy to those who don't deserve it. I want to encourage you to keep reading until you're the son who says, I don't deserve any of it. And then the father says, no, no, no. You were dead, now you're alive. Come and take the full advantage of being my child and being my beloved. You see, the image is not just an image of how God welcomes us now. It's an image of how God welcomes us in eternity, isn't it? I don't know what you, you think God is kind of holding over your head, waiting for that day when he sees you face to face and he's going to drop this bomb on you. But in reality, God's open arms are waiting. I don't know that God's going to come running out of the gates of heaven to welcome us in, but... The symbol is just as powerful. He anticipates our coming. If we are in Christ Jesus, we are a child of God and He is anticipating our coming to be with Him forever. Somebody say, Amen. And I have a feeling that that first moment in heaven, that first moment when, when let's say, the wonderful reality that I'm still alive when Jesus comes back and our bodies are transformed 
and we get to walk up and see him face to face, I have a feeling that the, the, the reality of his forgiveness will bring me to my knees in absolute wonder. Because it's wonderful to think about now, but on the other side of all of the new creation, it will be an even greater reality. Fully restored to God. Ready and fitted for eternity with Him. But again, as with the images... If the focus of the restoration of heaven is simply centered on what God is going to do to me, then we may have missed a major part of what Jesus said the kingdom of God is going to be like. And I have chosen to take it from his prayer that's included in Matthew and in Luke. Forgive us our sins. And it's really interesting to me. Forgive us our sins... Because at some level, we now have transitioned from a proclamation to a God, but to a reminder to ourselves. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's kind of the same sentence. If you read in Luke 11, it's much shorter than the Matthew chapter 6 version. But would you like to know that one of the modifiers that Luke leaves there... One of the expansions that Luke leaves in the prayer in this short. And to a certain extent, I think some of us would just like to say, forgive us our sins and thank you for forgiveness and just keep right on going. Except that if you read the Gospels very much, you see that Jesus very closely equates the idea that we not only experience, but we anticipate the fullness of God's forgiveness. In his recreated heaven, that is real to us when we turn around on a daily, momentary basis and extend that same forgiveness to those who are around us. We join Jesus in saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We maybe forget that if we are to be restored into everything that God wants for us, it will be incomplete now until we begin the process of forgiving those that we are offended by, who we think owe us a debt because of their offense, who may have quite literally and very directly sinned against us. And Jesus says... If you've experienced forgiveness from the Father, then shouldn't you give that same forgiveness to others? The reality of that first moment of heaven is that we will be fully renewed and fully restored. In a way that I believe on this side of that eternity is, is almost unconceivable. And yet we are given these little glimpses of what restoration looks like here and now so that we can anticipate what that restoration will look like then. And I would say to you that if our life is not full in the now 
of stepping into with everything that we have at least pointing towards the then, then I'm not sure the grace of God has fully worked everything that it wants to work in our lives. Three quick reflections. To be fully restored is to be people that are realizing that there is nothing too great for God to forgive now and then. I think some of us carry around a weight. And by the way, sin is a real weight. And when we've engaged in sin, particularly when it is not simply a sin that sort of is, I've taken the Lord's name in vain, I've done something against God, but my sin has had interpersonal impact. And we kind of hold on to that and say, oh, there's just no forgiveness for that then the only person that is hurt by that really is us. Accept that when it's interpersonal and we don't do now what we can do to repair that relationship. And by the way, it may well be that we can't repair it. It may simply be that we're going to say, I need your forgiveness, I don't know if you can forgive me. But I need to humble myself and confess to you that I've sinned against you. And it is my hope that you will experience the same freedom that I want to experience by extending your forgiveness to me. These are the hard things of following Jesus. It's not about, you know, make your list of things you need to give up. Right? Smoking, drinking, running with the wrong girls, listening to the wrong music. Whatever it is that you want to put on your, your list of things that God doesn't want you to do. And forgive me if I named one of your sins instead of one of my sins. But in reality, the hard work of forgiveness is done interpersonally. And it needs to be something we do now. Because we believe that it will fill this time up in a way that points us towards what will happen then. But I need to put one more word in there if I can. And that is, if you think there is anything in your life that is too big for God to forgive, you are wrong. And if you're walking into any part of your life, by the way, if we haven't been reminded of this recently, I don't know what else we're going to be reminded of, that death can be near any moment of any day for any of us. And if we carry around some, some inadequate view of God's forgiveness that we say, well, I've done my best, but I, that, he's just not going to accomplish that, we are wrong. Because he will forgive it all. The only sins that he won't forget are the sins that we don't put in front of him. That we don't come humbly confessing. I want to be sure and define there because I can see that being misunderstood. This isn't a theology that you have to say, please forgive me for every little thing that you do. But it is the attitude of our heart that we say, no, I'm going to hold on to that. Because that's too big for you, God. That's where we sin.
We can give it all to him, and anything given to him, he forgives. Somebody please say amen. Secondly, if we're looking forward to full restoration, I think we need to be more accepting of our limitations now. We need to accept those limitations now more. I don't know what you think holds you back now. And if you hold some sort of resentment that why would God do this to me, then you are losing the grace that God wants to give you. He is going to make it all right. And whatever limitation we have now will be resolved in eternity. And in fact, what we know from Scripture is that any limitation we have now, He can use, even now, to make sure that, that others who have limitations know that He can graciously still live through each and every one of us, no matter what our limitations. Amen? You see, you read Psalm 23 and you think, well, that guy's life was perfect, whoever he was, David. Then nothing went wrong. And yet, when you read his life, you recognize that many things went wrong. And yet he says, no matter what limitations, no matter what failings, I see God as fully sufficient. I will not be afraid, even in the darkest valley, because God is fully sufficient. Third, I want to challenge us that if the restoration of, the, of what God is promising is to come, that each day we need to be seeing everyone we encounter now with the eyes we will have then. I don't know who it will be. But my guess is that someday in heaven there'll be a soldier from the Union Army and a soldier from the Confederate Army that they'll see each other and they will embrace in love. There'll be a British or French soldier who will meet a German soldier and they will embrace in love. There'll be a slave owner and one who was a slave during their life and they'll meet and they will embrace in love surely I don't have to say it but right here and right now if not if I'm not embracing every brother in Christ no matter what their color of their skin is, then I am refuting in the way I live today the reality of what God's heaven will be like. Fully restored. Are things broken in our world today? And the answer is yes. And make no mistakes, it's real easy to kind of wash our hands and say, I'm not one of them. But as sin is part of my life, then the brokenness that is in the world is at least partially me. And what I want to do every day is to say that I'm claiming the then now. I'm claiming God's forgiveness that will be full and complete and total then 
right now. I am taking the limitations that I have now and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go on and redeem them into what God wants to do with them then. And it is my prayer that every relationship that I have with you or anyone that I run into out in the streets of our city, our state, our country, I see them with the same eyes now that I will see them then. And if I see them that way, that's the way I treat them. You prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. Lots of meaning in that when David wrote it. It was about the fact that he had this great feast and banquet. I think that on the other side of the resurrection, there's a sense in which we understand it from the fact that Satan is the great enemy. And that in the face of Satan, we say no. It's a little bit... doesn't make as much power, does it, when we don't have a table up here. But when you take this bread and take this cup, you say, Satan, no. You don't have the last word, and I'm not seeing the world the way you want to see it, and nor am I going to live into what you want this world to be about. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and I believe he's coming again. I invite you to come. The table is symbolic, but he invites you to it. I invite you to come now with the anticipation of the table that he will set for us in eternity. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed.
Just as I am. It really doesn't matter if we're young or old. It doesn't matter what color our skin is, what country we're from, what language we speak. God loves us. Maybe, maybe harder to understand is no matter how many times we've messed up, God loves us. Not only did he say he loved us, but he demonstrates. He demonstrated for us how much he loves us. And that's what we're remembering right now, is what he did for us because he loved us. Let's pray together as we eat the bread. Father, we thank you so much for loving us just as we are. Father, we, we ask you to help us to understand that love better help us to show others that love and tell others about that love father as we eat this bread let us think about that body that jesus gave as a sacrifice for us it's in his name we pray you have heard it said love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This grace that God has given to us, it, it ought to make us want to follow him, to obey him, to, to live like Jesus showed us how to live. And not only do that, but to share that with others. So as we drink this cup together and think about the blood that, that Jesus shed for us, let's think about how we can share that, how we can live it, how we can share it, how we can tell others about that good news. There's probably nothing more that the world needs now than that good news, and we need to share it with them. Father, we thank you again for your love and Jesus' willingness to die on the cross and to, to shed his blood for us. Father, help us to live lives like you want us to live, to, to do the things you want us to do and to share the good news with those that we come in contact with. We pray all these things together in Jesus' name.
with us together. Uh, we need to be sure that we keep Connie Aubrey's family in our prayers as her brother Wesley Krause passed away, I uh, believe last, uh, before last week, a week ago. Um, she is actually in Wisconsin now. She may be traveling back already, but is there for the funeral. And so if you would keep Connie Aubrey and her family in our prayers. Ralph Nocken has specifically asked for the church and the elders to pray for him as he's going in for a heart ablation this week, Tuesday, this week. We need to keep Barbara Greenway in our prayers as well. She's uh, had a little glass, hypoglycemia, and more importantly, she had to go to the emergency room. And um, now coming back to Country Village, she has to be in an even greater quarantine kind of situation. And if you know Barbara, being away from people is not really her best thing. So, and the transitions that go on around that. We also became aware just today that Kalani Mendoza, which is a niece, a, a nephew of Sylvia and Chewy Haro, uh, has been uh, diagnosed positive for COVID-19, positive for COVID-19. Thus far, the symptoms are fairly mild, is what Sylvia says. Uh, but she wants us to keep him in our prayers. He is in the Colorado Springs area, so keep Kalani Mendoza in your prayers. This son of mine was dead, and now he is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. The offer of Christ is that all of us have the opportunity to move even in this life, from the death of sin to the life of forgiveness, from the emptiness that comes by being one, of, um, one who serves Satan to the fullness that comes because we want to be filled by the Spirit.